0: Has something like this ever happened to you? You panic, you become frantic and hopeless because you learn in a YouTube video that rainforests are being destroyed at 32 acres a year. Maybe you found out that 97% of climate scientists agree that climate change is occurring and drastic change needs to happen now or else terrible consequences will occur. That all of our landfills are going to fill up forever. Maybe you even recently watched Cowspiracy and realized humanity and the earth itself is being destroyed because of how much we love meat. Or you saw that video of a polar bear alone on an iceberg melting and realized all of this is because of how terrible humans are.
1: Like, humans should serve the, the thing. Like, most pressing well, issue. Like, I've seen, like, humans world. are, or like, it's the root cause of, a lot of that climate
2: change.
3: You ever felt like this? Maybe it gives you
0: anxiety late at night. Maybe it makes you feel apathetic or hopeless for humanity itself. Or maybe you start to change some of your behavior. You start recycling, buying a reusable straw, biking more, eating less meat, becoming sustainable. Hi, I'm Danielle. As always, this is make it human. This episode, I'm digging a little deeper into the sustainable claims made by Cal Poly and learning more about how this type of marketing is influencing the way that we perceive sustainability. Featuring interviews from 35 different Cal Poly students about their perception of sustainability, as well as some sustainability experts on the Cal Poly campus. Tune in. This is make it human. Now, this word sustainable seems to be pretty easily thrown around.
1: We need to change things, especially like how you're saying, uh, become more sustainable.
4: What sustainability in this framework has done and through the help of McDonald's
3: of environment and sustainability with Coca-Cola North America.
0: At Panasonic, we're creating a brighter, more sustainable future.
3: Because you can choose responsibly caught fish that is handled with care and can be traced right back to a sustainable source. Driven towards excellence in sustainability.
0: We all know what sustainable means. It's like saving the earth somehow, um, doing your part, reducing your trash, but also not driving much, maybe eating organic food. Seems to be all of these things together. I initially grew interested in this topic after one afternoon of sitting inside 805 Kitchen, the buffet cafeteria inside of Cal Poly. If you're not aware or haven't stepped foot inside of Metro or 805 Kitchen since freshman year, Metro went through a glamorous remodel a year ago, covering each wall with tons of word art. There was just one wall inside of Metro that I was particularly interested in, which is the entire wall dedicated to sustainable dining. It has huge letters, sustainable Sustainable dining, dining, followed with a bunch of other words, such as love food, save water, limit packaging, love food and the planet, save water. Drive green, lower antibiotics, reduce your impact, fair trade coffee, reduce drive green, and a picture of a RBG golf cart. free yogurt and milk, rescue imperfect food, take only what you can eat. I began to notice this sort of sustainable rhetoric everywhere. My initial reaction to this, of course, is, oh my god, Cal Poly is greenwashing, no one is doing anything about it, they're lying, this is false advertising, everything is a lie. And all the typical cynical thoughts you have about anything that our school tries to do to do good. I wanted to know specifically more about Cal Poly Dining's practices and really find out if they were greenwashing and see if they are speaking true of what they claim. I wanted to get down to the bottom of it. Where are these claims coming from? Who's making them? And are they true about Cal Poly campus dining? For those of you who may not know what greenwashing is or maybe aren't familiar with the term, greenwashing is defined as a, quote, intentionally misleading or deceiving customers with false claims about a firm's environmental practices and impact. This deception has toxic effects on the environmental movement. The first person I decided to interview was Ellen Curtis, the director of marketing and communications for Cal Poly Corporation, and she is the one who helped redesign all of the campus dining facilities. She turned what we once knew as Metro into the beautiful 805 kitchen. Let's learn a little bit more about what she has to say.
2: So 805 opened, and those other walls were blank. And I was walking the campus with the dining director looking for opportunities To get out the sustainability message more, Mm
4: -hmm.
2: like I said, there's just not a lot of places, you know, to get that messaging out. Mm -hmm. And so we went into the 805. I was like, you know, we got this wall here, Mm
4: -hmm. and this
2: wall here. I think this would be really great to put a map, and we could, you know, do some word salad about Mm -hmm. sustainability, about the things that we're doing and the things that we support. And that's how that came up. And then we just came up with, you know, the things that we do, you know, like the RGB, HT-free milk, and cage-free eggs, and all, all those things that we, that campus dining does, mm-hmm. those are all true, and it's supportable. Yeah.
0: And so, you, did you already know that campus dining did that, or was there yeah. something you had to, okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: Because you're just probably
0: really familiar with yes everything that campus dining does. Yes. Yes.
2: As any good communicator of you know working with your stakeholder, you have mm-hmm. to know the insides and outs. Mm-hmm. My role is communication. Um, I can, I think I said this. I can't make the burgers taste better, literally. Yes. <laughs> but I can communicate the feedback back to campus dining, saying students don't like your burgers, right? Because that's what a communicator does. You get yeah. research, um, and then it's up to the operational staff to make those burgers. Taste. Tastes better,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or to say they don't want burgers,
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> they yep. want
2: chicken, you know. And and you want to make sure that anything that you're putting out is um, authentic. Um,
3: definitely,
0: no greenwashing happening. You would say.
2: No, I no. Not that I know of. Yeah. Not. I mean. So you would know. I'm assuming. Yes. <laughs> it, it. The only reason it would not be true is that I was given untrue facts. Right? So, yeah. you know, as a communicator, you, you vet the facts to make sure what someone's telling you is true. And we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we don't put out anything. There's no spin. There's no need to spin because we have a really good story, which is they do the things they say they're doing. They're sustainable. Yeah. They do it every day.
0: I initially got intrigued by this project By um, all of the sustainability themes Mm -hmm. surrounding campus dining. So, I was just wondering if you could tell me how
2: you think campus dining is sustainable. How they're sustainable? Yeah. Well, they do so many things Mm -hmm. that are sustainable. So, this is gonna sound like an ad, but that's that's okay. um, (laughs) So, we got recognized for our food sustainability efforts. Mm And we continue to do that. You know, we use as many Cal Poly products as mm-hmm. we can. It's often a supply and demand mm-hmm. because we have such large supply.
0: Mm-hmm. For Cal Poly products, do you mean like the Cal Poly chocolates sort of thing? Or um,
2: actually, produce? the stuff they grow. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the okay. fruits, vegetables. Yeah. But wow, okay. our farm is big, but we have, you know, 20,000 people a day. Mm-hmm. When we, we get flats of strawberries, they're gone in a night. Wow. So, yeah. you know, and we use as many eggs as yeah. we can. But we, you know, it's a, it's a really large operation. Mm-hmm. When I first started, I asked, give me numbers of like tons. Like, how many tons of every?" I mean, mm-hmm. you'd be amazed, the tons of kale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we support local farms mm-hmm. in the area. And so um, that's the one piece of sustainability. The other piece of sustainability is waste. And I think I mentioned this, you know, they've been recycling for years. Um, the back of the house um, compost, composting that they do. So, you know, when you're... in like, the food prep, right? And the food prep yes. and all of that. So all of that gets composted into um, stuff the farmers can reuse again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that has been, and that's been going on long before I've gotten here too. We just put measurement. They put measurement, but I communicate. What it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's that. And then there's, you know, water usage. Mm-hmm. So upgrading and modernizing all our dishwashing. You can imagine what it's like the amount of water we're washing dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, energy efficiency, buying new equipment, um, more fuel efficient cars and trucks for deliveries. So every kind of measure, like talking about changing light bulbs to LED isn't really sexy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it does have a big impact mm-hmm. on electric usage. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that as well.
0: And so things like um, changing it to L- LEDs, mm-hmm. um, is that a recent thing that's happened or is that just, has are the, all the efforts just continually ongoing? They're ongoing. Like, yeah. They're
2: ongoing. And I, I mentioned to you that our strategic plan it has one of the main goals of our strategic plan is sustainability. So that would be of all the corporation. Um, dining obviously is the biggest contributor to that. Um, but I, you know, I feel. Chemist Dining is doing a good job in that area and continues to do. And it's, you know, we have a registered dietitian who also works on the food sustainability end and then we have our assistant dining director who is also working more on the zero waste end and we work really well and work often with the university our catering does all zero together. yeah we do zero waste events yeah so it's it's really embedded in our in the dining culture so many things i didn't know about before You're just i know it so and it's it's a complicated it's not like a simple, you know, I think the challenge from communication mm-hmm. is how do you, how do I condense what I just told you over two interviews? <laughs> oh yeah,
0: right. So I knew going into interviewing Ellen Curtis that she would likely have the most positive things to say about Cal Poly campus dining. I mean, she's the marketing coordinator for them. She must talk good about them. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about these practices from someone outside of Cal Poly Corporation. Anastasia Nicole is the second interviewee, and she is the Zero Waste Program Coordinator at Cal Poly. Mm
4: -hmm. There's more than I could possibly tell you in that book. Yeah, about the types of things they do on the the campus as far as Mm -hmm. sustainability. I mean, there's a table of contents, and it Mm -hmm. it has Handles all these things, the energy, water, you know, um, sustainability yeah. in the classroom, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then there's there's many, many examples on each one of those pages yeah. about how those different... Right, I will definitely be yeah. checking this out. This is awesome.
0: What we're talking about is the 2018 biennial report for Cal Poly sustainability. We have linked this on our website. And I didn't realize this, but every two years, the a department at Cal Poly publishes a report highlighting Cal Poly's progress toward goals in areas such as energy use, transportation, water resources, recycling, land use development, and greenhouse gas. Super interesting report, also very visually pleasing. I recommend you take a look. When and is the, th- is the main audience mm-hmm. for this, the students at Cal Poly?
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's for... Or like, who is just, this made for? It's made for one, all, it's, it's, our, all of our educational outreach is to staff, faculty, and students. It's not just students. Uh-huh. Because staff and faculty are all focused on what they're doing and we need to keep them Apprised of what strides the campus yeah. has made, yeah. Because otherwise, they'll they might not realize, you know, where the campus is. And they like, oh, "Why don't we do LED lighting?" It's like, um, excuse me, we've done a quarter of the, you know, whatever it yeah. is that we've done. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: I know. I think it's it's funny because we're we've been interviewing people about how sustainable they think Cal Poly is, mm-hmm. and it's just funny the things that um, just the general public will say. Like they'll be like, "Oh, I think Cal Poly is kind of sustainable, but I." I also am not sure because they're really bad at this and this and this. Like You're judged by yeah,
4: whatever that person uh, notices, and so like if they notice that water is running across the pavement, they're like, well, they say they did a lot of water, but I'm always mm-hmm. seeing water running across the pavement. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's-
1: and what kinds of actions do you think Cal Poly should be doing?
3: Um, I think they really need to like work on uh, their water sustainability because I know like the road going down along Fisher Science, there's just so much wasted water, especially with all the rain we've been getting this year. And it's just like, it's going
4: nowhere, 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 nowhere.
0: Um, Can you tell us about your background and how you came to working at Cal Poly?
4: Um, My background is as a sustainability consultant in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. and primarily focused on waste. And I worked with Recology, which is the zero waste company in San Francisco that has tried to get San Francisco to zero waste. But I was working for them in the Oakland area, trying to get all of Oakland as their next company that they would be doing. And how I did that was um, yeah. by expanding organics recycling in Oakland. Um, when I came in, there were 60 organics clients in Oakland. And by the time I left, almost every restaurant in Oakland and most of the nursing homes and most yeah, of the, um, mm-hmm. and the hospitals and the airport and all these things that, that the garbage company that was located in Oakland hadn't even approached, like I approached, mm-hmm. and we made it happen.
0: And so that just means all the food it's served at those places or is organic or
4: you no. worked with an organics company mm. you know organics when, it, when you talk about organics uh-huh. In, uh-huh. in the field of waste you're uh-huh. talking about taking anything that is organic and i'm not talking about organic certified i'm talking about organic matter mm-hmm. which is yard waste or food waste oh. and getting it composted i see but when i saw this but i was also trying to push people towards zero waste it's mm-hmm. like it's not enough to just recycle more. It would be better if instead of trying to recycle this hard-to-recycle item, you just replaced it with something that either was recyclable or with something reusable, where we wouldn't need to recycle. So I, would, I was constantly trying to push my clients to the next oh, yeah, yeah, to the next yeah, step. So I saw this job listed, and I was like, wow. you know. And then <laughs> two weeks later, after my husband and I had this long conversation, this job got listed down here as a zero waste coordinator. And that's what I do is zero waste. And I'd always told people that I was a zero waste advocate. And there were, no, there were almost no jobs that list zero waste even in their yeah. title. And I'm like, hell, Polly wants a zero waste yeah. consult my dream job. <laughs> yeah, so what do I have to do to make this happen? <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, and it happened. Yeah. I'm so glad. And it, it isn't easy because I thought, oh, I can take everything that I've done in the Bay Area and just bring it down here with me. Mm-hmm. I can't because I can't bring the infrastructure from the Bay Area down here with me. The infrastructure mm-hmm. available in the local still area is very limited. Mm-hmm. And so the recycling facility doesn't take a lot of recycling mm-hmm. that they took in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. because there were thirty recycling facilities in the Bay Area. If one didn't take it, I could ship it to another one, but yeah. I can't do that here. There's one. Yeah. And um, there's only there was when I got here, there was only one compost facility. And it, if you asked, "Will you take compostable items?" They said, "It depends." You know. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because so that's the
0: one in Santa Maria, right? Yeah, okay. Exactly.
4: That's Anglo and Gray. Yeah. And so that's what we were working with. And then two months ago. COMPO Gas opened the new anaerobic digestion facility, and mm-hmm. San Luis Garbage has the contract with them to bring all their waste there. Not all their waste, but all their organic waste. Again, organic meaning food waste mm-hmm. and yard waste. Mm-hmm. But no compostables, you meaning compostable plastics or food yeah. sort paper paper. Yeah. So Angela gray will allow us to take some of that stuff there if we have a minimal contamination, like they say, 1% to 2%. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that's produced on campus that is landfill. Only. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I got my dream job, came down here, and it's, it's a lot harder than I thought, and so I had to take two steps back and say, okay, mm-hmm. I've got to regroup. i got to see what I can have the biggest impact first, mm-hmm. and, and for me, that is getting signage all over campus, and that's taking a lot longer. By just th- talking about what recycling is. To what camp. recycling is uh-huh. here. Paper, cardboard, mm-hmm. aluminum, metal, glass, plastic, mm-hmm. containers, mm-hmm. that's it. Those five things that they show in the picture is all you mm-hmm. can recycle here in slow. And mm-hmm. people put a lot more than that in the recycles. Yeah, because
0: at the recycling plant here, yes. it's, it's sent to China. Is that true? No,
4: is I've heard, I just have
0: heard so many rumors, and you're clearing so much and stuff up And this is for the me. thing. You hear rumors. <laughs> yes.
4: From And you hear, because people have heard them from various places, in the past, before January of 2019, most of the recycling in the United States was sent to China. And China warned us over a year ago that they were no longer going to accept dirty recycling. And to them, dirty recycling was all mixed paper, and all mixed plastics because when they're mixed like that, there's a lot of contamination in there. There's paper in the plastics, there's plastics that can't be recycled in the plastics, there's a ton of plastic uh, paper in the mixed paper, you know like paper that actually has a plastic backing like coffee cups that they Mm -hmm. can't recycle. So they said, we're not gonna take your trash anymore. So we're talking about hundreds of millions of tons. No, that's not- So Cal Poly does recycle? Cal Poly recycles. I just got the report from the garbage company in SLO and of everything we shipped them, this year, a third of it got recycled. 30, okay, thirty percent of everything we ship. Them. We ship them a lot of garbage.
0: And mm-hmm. knowing that zero waste is Cal Poly's goal, or yeah. the, your goal for Cal Poly, yes. what are the steps that Cal Poly is taking right now to achieve that goal? I understand that there's probably like steps towards steps towards steps in doing and doing that. Exactly. And so, what are what is Cal Poly doing right now? The very
4: the first thing, thing that I was put on to do is um, I had to pay for my own position. This is a new position. Mm -hmm. So I had to, in the very first year, save enough money on the garbage bills to pay for my position. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) yeah, I had to find (laughs) a lot of money. Because when you add in all the benefits and everything else, it's like I had to save over $100,000, even though I don't make anywhere near that. But the overhead on the benefits, on your it's just crazy. So, um, But I was able to do that because. So it saves Cal Poly a lot of money? Yes. Really? Recycling is collected at half the cost. Garbage. Really? So, for example, Poly Canyon Village, when I first came here, there were two bins for garbage and there was one bin for recycling, and we got nothing but complaints, garbage is overflowing all the time, what are we going to do, blah, 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 blah. So I asked Cindy, can you actually go up there, it, recycling isn't collected at housing till like noon or whatever, can you go up there a couple days a week and tell me what it is that's overflowing? She called me and she said, it's recycling every single time because you have two bins for garbage and they're collected seven days a week, that's 14 yards. You have one bin, or sorry, it's four yards each, so eight times seven is 56. is 56 yards. All right, you had a four yard bin for recycling that was collected three times a week, 56 yards versus 12 yards. Recycling was overflowing. If, pe- if people didn't crush their boxes, it was even worse. So I said, and she and she told me also, because she looked, she said, not only is recycling overflowing, but the garbage bins, because they're collected every single day, there's never more than one full. Hmm. So I pulled one of the garbage bins from each enclosure and I put a recycling bin yeah. instead. So the garbage bins were pulled seven days a week. So I could look it up. I don't know how much it was, mm-hmm. you know, like $350, probably more, like $700 for me to pull one of those bins. And then to put a recycling bin only going three days a week was only like $150. So I was, I was saving $200 in each location. Wow. And there are ten locations, and so that's two thousand dollars a month. That I'm saying, boom, and that's times twelve months, so that's twenty-four thousand dollars. I only had to save a hundred. Like, good start. I'm <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I, if I like second month there, I'm like I'm a quarter of the way there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, at first, I was terrified. I'm like, how the hell am I going to do this? So we're working on. That's the other thing we're working on is standardization of containers, and then putting these signs yeah. on all the ones she has now. Yeah,
0: because these I've seen these signs on. The trash cans in the library and in the, um, in the hallways sub buildings in the app yeah. Okay, good in the Ave. And so, um, or signs like this that are already on the trash, that because it has the the compost
4: recycling. And those are landfill. New, new versions of all those. Oh really? They were okay. horribly because the when I got because it. yeah because <laughs> the compost one does Cal Poly compost. Uh we're not there? because it's too contaminated. No? Yeah. So I've switched it to the new ones say food waste only. Uh-huh. And if students can get 90% food waste in there, then we can send it to, um, oh. to the local anaerobic digester. And at what point would we know if we did that? Did uh, that? Like, like, is there someone that's checking on that? Uh, I'll, I'll be checking, and I'll be having other people check. And we're, what we're doing is we're trying to roll it out to sort of one location at a time. But when they put all these new signs in, um, I'll have each location that's doing this, like ASI. I'll have them check mm-hmm. their own bins library. Because library is really excited about getting compost going again. The other thing is, like I said, the contamination rate that they'll accept down at angle Gray is one to two percent. It's higher at the at the anaerobic digestion Facility, because they're accepting all the green waste bins from everyone in SLO. So you mm-hmm. know people are throwing stuff in their mm-hmm. green waste bins that aren't perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been gardening, I'll throw my gloves in there with whatever <laughs> I'm collecting, you know. Or like, oh, I'm sure my floor mat is, it has to do with the garden. You know, it's like, plastic planters. This is a garden thing. You yeah. know, it's like, actually, it would have been recyclable if you put it in the blue bin. But now it's going to be, you know, it's like so. A lot of stuff goes in there that's not 100% mm-hmm. perfect. So, you know, I'll be checking, and as soon as it's it's, if we put this out, and next week I I go look in the bins and say, hey, this this is working, we'll we'll be ordering a whole bunch more compost. Wow, bins, because that's good news. The whole point is, yeah. Now I'm running three different compost programs right now, then campus-wide. Though. We have campus compost, agricultural waste, and, and mm-hmm. landscape waste. We have dining going straight to Emblem Gray because they're doing 100% pure food waste out of the back of the house. You know, all the prep. Kitchen mm-hmm. stuff, potato mm-hmm. peel, the cuttings off of the uh, watermelon or, you know, whatever. So but those
0: have already been composted.
4: Those are being composted at that, that big box. And they, that's yeah. for them. That.
0: Well, they have already been using that sort of program. Oh, yes. They've been okay, using so that program. Okay.
4: So that part of the England Gray program has been working. We rolled that out, and then we rolled out the post-consumer with the zero waste bins, and then it didn't work mm-hmm. because it was too contaminated.
0: And would, would you say Cal Poly is a sustainable campus?
4: Yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Because we have plans and goals to be zero waste by 2040, to be carbon neutral by 2040, so we have goals. And if you have those kind of goals, you will make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I see that decisions about what we're going to do for the future are based on the fact that, okay, well, the state says we have to meet at least this you know, energy efficiency standard, but we have to reach this energy efficiency standard if we're going to meet our carbon goals. Mm. So Cal Poly goes about way above and beyond mm. what, they, what they must do to do what they should do. So it, mm. it, it's a great campus.
0: Next, we have Marissa Miller, a student expert on Cal Poly sustainable practices. She is the president of the Cal Poly Surfrider Foundation, and she is also a member of the Green Campus team.
5: Yeah, there's just push from a, different, a lot of different things, like from slow mm. goals and stuff and from the CSU goals. Yeah. So, like, Cal Poly as an institution is definitely moving towards sustainability, but students play a big role in that um, because if, there's, if we create a culture of sustainability on campus within, from the students mm-hmm. and, we add, and like, we show administration that this is what we, we want and, like, our new ASI president, he was elected on one of his main platforms is sustainability. So like us voting in a president like that for ASI mm-hmm. shows our commitment to sustainability and kind of pushes for institutional changes. So it comes from both ends. It definitely needs to come from both ends and is somewhat coming from both ends yeah. right now. So. We have one of the most aggressive climate neutrality goals in the nation, um, carbon neutrality by 2035, mm-hmm. as well as being part of the CSU system. We have a lot of sustainability goals in place. Um, So we're definitely on the right track, um, but there's still a lot of things to improve on and there always will be, we'll never be perfect. Sustainability is not really something you can achieve. It's just something you're always working towards and Mm. improving on. Um, Because true sustainability means like everything in the entire system is working in a cycle and is fully efficient and there's zero waste coming out of it and that's not really feasibly possible at the point we're at but it's what we're working towards and what we'll always be working towards so
0: after these interviews I was really excited and surprised to learn about what Cal Poly has been doing with sustainability I mean it seems like we're really doing a lot and doing well comparatively to other campuses and I felt bad for being so cynical in the first place I mean Cal Poly is really trying and doing a good job. After doing some more research on Cal Poly sustainability, I even found this push from the student side. I learned that there are over 30 clubs dedicated to environmental sustainability. I was confused about where my cynicism came from, but after some research, I found that it is widely accepted in the academic community that consumers, and specifically young consumers, will be more skeptical of environmental claims this, some researchers believe, is because of an increased consumer awareness of greenwashing and the prevalence of greenwashing incidents in the media. So organizations that claim sustainable goals or claim their sustainable practices in the first place are often subject to closer scrutiny and criticism from the government, competitors, and consumers than companies that aren't even making these claims at all but doing these practices. One researcher found that Consumers perceive greenwashing when sustainable claims are made without supporting evidence, revealing that consumers could perceive greenwashing even if the corporation's statements are true. I mean, this is exactly what happened with me with the Cal Poly sustainability wall. I mean, love food and the planet, drive green, limit packaging... All of these statements are so vague, even though these claims all were true about Cal Poly campus dining, because there was no supportive evidence given, I didn't believe that they were happening. One study that was actually taken on by a group of Cal Poly campus students was from CCARG, Cal Poly Climate Action Research Group. (laughs) I was actually told to interview this group from Marissa Miller. Um, Here's what she had to say about them. So,
5: Uh, First of all, have you talked to CCARG? Do you know what CCARG is? uh Uh-uh climate change action research group uh-huh. they did a research project last year on exactly what you're trying to really? like, figure out like students perception of like sustainability and how important uh-huh. it is and like what we do on campus.
0: is great when you're working endlessly for two quarters on a podcast and realize that someone has already done the exact research that you have done on something So that kind of made me feel like our research was pointless, but actually it it ended up supporting a lot of the research that Paul and I did for our podcast. And, um, but one of the main points she found is that Cal Poly students are not only skeptical of corporations making these claims, but are even skeptical of each other, myself included. I'll often think, oh, I'm doing something good for the environment, but will see my peers' behaviors and actions and think that no one else is really doing anything.
3: Hi, I'm Logan Babcock. I'm a third-year environmental management and protection major. Um, I am the leader of CCARG, which is the climate change action research group, and also a member of the um, Capella Green Campus team. Yeah, so this research, our, like, general goal is just, like, disseminate it and have people use it for their own projects. Like, this data, people, like, the data point of, like, the majority of students saying they want to take action on campus, they just don't know how to was used by the campus air waste coordinator to do the huge grant so that she could get like universal recycling labels. Um, so like our data point like fed another project and then we're also doing waste audits on like the before and after of those recycling labels. So just like this cycle of data and like fueling other projects and getting more data um, just to kind of evaluate how our campus is doing and how everything's happening. Um, that's kind of what like our evolved mission has come to be. It started as we wanna do undergraduate research and publish a paper and now we're like we just want to help other clubs on campus like get their shit done by kind of having the hard data to back it up. Nice. And
0: so when was the survey distributed?
3: So the survey was implemented for fall quarter of this year so we did like a three or four week survey period where we went to GE classes of every level with big classrooms and just like stood in front of the classroom put a bitly link on the board and had people take it but we got 867 responses. So there were 10 questions these were created by a professor group, so we weren't actually involved in the question-making, but they were all The professor
0: group, were they Cal Poly professors? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're
3: Cal Poly professors and like staff from different departments that focus on integrating sustainability into the curriculum. That's their end goal. Uh,
0: Wait, a gap is present between the belief that they are taking in action and that their peers are doing the same, so they don't believe that their peers are doing the same. Exactly, okay.
3: So like with a bunch of questions, it was formatted like I believe in climate change. I think my peers believe in climate change. I'm taking action. I think my peers are taking action. Just a bunch of those like series of questions, and with all of them, the line for like I'm doing this was like way up here, and the line for my peers are doing and that this was like, pretty. It was consistent. significant. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So like by at least a point and a half for like each of them, like the peers, is just like consistently lower Wow. yeah which was something that we were like that's a huge problem because like the sustainability community is, community is like pretty big and maybe people on campus just don't realize that that's a community that exists um which is a huge problem because it exists and i mean like everyone needs manpower to get stuff done so work with people who are, like, young people who do not believe that climate change exists. I think that it's good when people think that they're helping the environment by, like, the little day-to-day things that they do, but sometimes I feel like, like, don't get me wrong, like, that's really good, but sometimes I feel like they think that that's enough. Whereas, like, say people stop using plastic bags, stop eating inorganic meats, that's not going to change the, the fact that, like, we're still creating so much percentage of emissions as a whole country. If
1: everybody like, did like, one subtle thing, it would like really change. Mm-hmm. Like, if every person did one thing, I feel like mm-hmm. all those things added together would like, really help out okay. everything.
0: So what Logan's saying here is that it seems like, in general, a lot of people will think that they are doing their part to contest climate change. However, everyone else around them is not. What might be damaging about this way that we think about climate change and sustainability? This brings me to why is it important to talk about the way we talk about things? Well, this is one thing that I'm asked a lot as a communication studies um, scholar, I would call myself, Um, (laughs) is just that. I'm often under a lot of scrutiny as to what I even study. What do you even do as a comms major? Do you do speeches all day? Well, let me tell you what we do. Um, <laughs> we, one of the main themes that we talk about is, it is so crucial the way we talk about things. The language and concepts surrounding sustainability used by media, politics, and large corporations essentially shape and frame how we perceive this concept of sustainability, the concept of climate change, and nature itself. Now, what's a frame? What's a frame? Frames refer to, quote, the cognitive maps or patterns of interpretation that people use to organize their understanding of reality. And furthermore, quote, central organizing themes that connect different semantic elements of a news story. So these can be headlines, quotes, leads, visual representations, and narrative structure. This might be the reason that when you think of climate change, an image of a polar bear on a melting iceberg will come to mind. Have you ever seen that in real life? Probably not, maybe you have, but largely it'd be because this word, climate change, is often associated with this image of a polar bear sinking on an iceberg. So all of these things, these ways we gather information, from whether it's advertisements on Instagram, or even just headlines on a news article, or within your Facebook feed, this is all organized into our brain, into this framework into a somewhat coherent whole of what this thing is, what sustainability is, what climate change is. And because frames are necessary for understanding the complexity of the world, it is important that frames are coherent and correct. George Lakoff, a communications scholar, wrote a piece entitled, Why It Matters How We Frame the Environment. And he, he said something that I really liked, quote, framing gives understanding as to what does and doesn't matter in regard to sustainability. Thus, proper framing is absolutely necessary for communicating the real crisis. Misleading or untrue frames can falsely portray reality itself. This is essential. Marketing has undergone a major shift towards sustainable and green marketing in recent years to gain competitive edge and reflect consumer values. When I began to do some research on green marketing, I found out that it began to appear in the 1990s to follow a growing consumer concern for the consequences of climate change, and it was especially effective for socially conscious and young consumers.
2: Ellen Curtis even mentioned this in her interview. Research that um, he and I did in conjunction with a couple students um, that did a deep dive um, on Generation Z which you could probably add to Uh about, you know, you're part of Gen Z. Yes. I've done a lot of uh, work around understanding, so I have a better way of talking with and communicating Mm -hmm. with new students coming in, and what's important to them, and yeah, they have this, um, and, and rightly so, this idea of compassionate capitalism. Now, half
0: of millennial generations and Generation X consumers indicate that they try to buy environmentally preferred products. And in general, as you may have noticed just when you're comparing between your parents and your grandparents, that younger generations are much more inclined to value corporate social responsibility. Corporate social responsibility is defined as a concept whereby companies integrate social and environmental concerns in their business operations and in their interaction with their stakeholders on a voluntary basis. So essentially, it entails that businesses exist not only for the wealth of the owners, but for the enhancement of society itself. According to a Gallup poll in 2018, this value difference in why younger generations value corporate social responsibility and just environmental friendliness of products is likely due to younger generations having more education regarding issues such as sustainability and climate change. Various studies have also come out to say that Maintaining the identity of being socially conscious as a younger consumer is important. A socially conscious identity is maintained through your own consumption habits. This is unique to younger generations like millennials and Generation Z. Knowing that if I consider myself a socially conscious person and I care about the issues regarding social and environmental sustainability around the world... In order to maintain that identity and not encounter cognitive dissonance, I will need to make my actions follow that. And so another thing I was looking at is this green marketing shift has been communicated to consumers largely through social media. Like myself, I consume Facebook and Instagram so much more. Honestly, I'm embarrassed to talk about how much I consume social media, but Considering the growth of the current just infiltration of social media everywhere, how we are constantly consuming social media, we're consuming advertisements just as much. In my experience, when I count my Instagram ads, I notice that every three of my friends posts, I find an Instagram advertisement. And this... This isn't. I couldn't find any peer-reviewed sources that confirmed this. However, um, I challenge you to just try that in your Instagram feed next time you're looking on. I think it. I think it might have to do with how many people you follow. Perhaps if you follow less people, you will get less advertisements. And like media, like movies, like the news, like radio, like music, these advertisements inevitably shape the way we perceive the world because of the effective framing. And as you may know, social media advertisements are so effective, I've have been seen to be way more effective than advertisements within magazines or within billboards or on just general commercials, because they are targeted toward your unique demographic, your unique algorithm. That's essentially how they keep you on social media is that social media, things like Instagram, YouTube, um, and Facebook and Twitter, they know who you follow they'll take that in that information and create custom advertisements made just for you you ever think about that how that's how facebook instagram and youtube make money is by you being on it every time you're scrolling every time you're watching a video they are making money from you kind of scary I am actually curious what my Instagram ads are going to be if I just scroll right now. So let me check. Urine days, chic ceramics were made to be seen. Shows like a trendy looking girl, short hair on um, sipping her morning coffee, which I love also love to do. So I don't know if many, many of you have experienced this on social media, but maybe within Instagram, I have personally found that these advertisements are so much, so effective within my own life. Some German researchers from the Applied Cognitive Psychology Department at University of Ausbruck, they did a comparative study with users browsing the internet with either personalized ads or non-personalized ads. It was statistically significant that users with personalized ads would look at the ads more and click on the site more. And if essentially, the personalized ads had much more consumer in. Engagement and response rates. Seems obvious, but I mean, I think that just goes to show that we can no longer even think that we can ignore advertisements and not see them and not be affected by them. They are so personalized to us that they become essentially an entertainment aspect of social media. Learning all this information about the power of advertising and social media and framing in general and how much framing affects how we think of these things, it made me want to go back on the interviews and try to understand what people talk about when they talk about sustainability. I was wondering if I would see a reflection of green marketing on the way that people talk about things. Going back to the wall, I mean, we see that sustainable dining is defined with all of these subtitles as zero waste, save water, limit packaging. All of these things apparently mean sustainable dining. And so I wanted to go back, check out our, check out our student interviews and learn more about how people define this. So one of the questions we ask students is, do you think that Cal Poly is a sustainable campus? Why or why not? And also, what do you do to lead a sustainable lifestyle? And lastly, what is one piece of advice you would give other students who are seeking to lead a more sustainable lifestyle? So here's what some students said about being quote unquote sustainable. I definitely noticed single-use plastics were huge, so I tried to cut that out as much as possible. I tried to use things that were composted
3: or recycled. Um, I
1: mean, I, I did my best to, you know, recycle and, you know, compost as much as I could. Um, so what do you know about work CapPly is doing to be a sustainable campus?
5: I haven't really heard about any, like, programs it's trying to implement.
2: I just see, like, recycling bins and stuff. You know, separating your recycling and your trash. I mean, they could even copy kind of what Costco does, how they have, like, bio... You know, or green waste, or mm-hmm. biodegradable, and then they have recyclable, and then they have a the trash, mm-hmm. and even make it as easy as putting pictures because we are lazy.
0: So, what do each of you know about the work that Cal Poly is doing to be a more sustainable campus? I don't I don't really know honestly, any. yeah, I don't know <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> <laughs> nothing about it. I haven't seen anything. Just nice recycling bins around. But yeah, I
1: I'm not. I guess I'm not familiar. Well, um, one of the effects is um, all the different uh recycling and the trash bins separated mm-hmm. um how now they even have special area for pizza boxes in the library so people like who for people who don't know where to put them the recycling bins in the dining hall
3: okay I don't know that, yeah okay
1: but uh other than that I'm not too informed on these so what do you believe is the most important action one should take to lead a sustainable lifestyle
4: um reduce the use of plastic like i recycle
3: and stuff but like and right it, that's okay. I mean, recycling as well, and, like, I don't buy things that I
0: don't need. What do you believe is the most important action one could take to lead a sustainable lifestyle? Recycling? Yeah. Like my house recycles. That's okay. That's about
1: it. I feel like recycling is the simplest and easiest way mm-hmm. somebody could do. I try to use more reusable, like, objects, mm-hmm. like, different, like, forks. I try to stay away from using plastic as mm-hmm. much. Like, I don't know.
2: Uh, maybe, like, reducing the amount of uh, the amount you drive your car, um, mm. you know, um, recycling, obviously, mm. just sort of basic little things like
4: that. Mm.
5: Being more of, like, less plastics on campus kind of thing. I know campus dining, there's a lot of plastics used. I feel like a lot of things are used, like, to go, like, take it back to your dorm, take it to class kind of thing. Um, there's so a lot of plastics and things involved that don't always get recycled. I think another thing could be more recycling bins on campus.
2: Cal Poly dining. They still have a lot of work to do. Um, campus dining. They had signs up that explained like what can and can't be composted what can and can't be recycled. And I remember that was like a really big issue
3: dining just is using mostly single-use plastics and
2: And so like they're definitely on the
3: map as being sustainable but like how much is probably really low i mean i guess like food is really like a big like issue and stuff like i notice that there's a lot of like food waste that we don't kind of like address
0: Okay, so when asked whether or not Cal Poly is sustainable or if they are sustainable, it seems as though students have primarily focused on waste. So campus dining is a huge source of waste, according to students. Um, that is what makes Cal Poly not sustainable. So do we think sustainability really means just waste? Let's see what the experts have to say.
4: But there's, there's talk about the fact that we really need to seriously consider that recycling is not the way to get to zero waste. Yeah. And that's what I'm telling people whenever they're like, we need to get people to recycle more. I'm like, no, we don't. We need to get people to stop buying garbage. That is the number one thing we need to get to people.
1: So it sounds like communication is like a really, like something that affects the whole process a great deal. Having everyone on board with the same information and moving in the same way and knowing like, okay, these things that I'm making should go here. What is it that everyone, like if you Mm -hmm. could put this in everybody's brain that has the the agency to throw things away in different places, Mm -hmm. what is it that everyone should know?
4: Uh, Everyone should know what is recyclable and what is compostable here on campus. Uh That's what's recyclable and compostable is food waste only. And that's it. And it's a lot less than what people think. And then they should look at what they have left in their hand and say, why am I buying garbage? Mm -hmm. What that's going to do is going to put a lot of pressure. Yeah.
2: Because sustainability can mean many things, like supporting local economy, um, lessening your carbon footprint, all of that. Mm -hmm. And so they've had major strides in that area, probably even before I came, but it was my job to communicate that more clearly. Mm -hmm
5: one of my classes, we were talking about how the term sustainability can actually be detrimental to sustainability, like what sustainability is supposed to actually embody, mm-hmm. because it's so vague, and because people don't really know what it is, and they take it as this really general term. Mm-hmm. And because of that, companies and um, certain organizations actually take up the word sustainability as like kind of a marketing approach, and that's like whole, the whole greenwashing issue of like companies advocating on a platform of sustainability, but really there's no requirement saying that like, oh, you know, like if you're LEED certified, there's like mm-hmm. all these set requirements to be leads, a LEED certified building with sustainability, any company can be like, oh, we have these sustainable practices, but like, yeah. there's no regulation on what is it's sustainable, so big. and it's so vague that like anyone can just say, oh yeah, we're sustainable, and people are like, oh, okay, yeah, like they don't mm-hmm. ask any more questions about it. So, in a way, moving away from the term sustainability towards a more descriptive, um, elaborate term that actually conveys a message that's mm-hmm. um, not so vague and broad and um, amorphous mm-hmm. <laughs> would be ideal. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I actually like have been trying to think about that. Like, what could I say instead of sustainability? Or like, mm-hmm. when people ask me like the organizations I'm involved in, what they're about, I don't want to say sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, so just
3: trying to find ways to convey a message that's more descriptive. Okay. So sustainability, like a lot of times, like people just think it's like environmental sustainability, but in order for like sustainability to work as a term, there's economic, social, and environmental. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of times, like the social one gets left out just because it's not focused on a lot. Um, and like with this, like towards the end of this survey, they um, self-report how many classes they've taken that like address the topics that they've seen in here. Um, So it's like not exact because they could have been taking a class to talk about sustainability and they just don't even know it. Um, And we kind of factored that in because a lot of people don't identify like a women and gender studies course as a sustainability course, even though it's talking about like environmental injustice or like, like reproductive rights. Like that's all sustainability because quality is part of it.
0: experts, it seems that sustainability seems to be so much more complex than just waste. So, I guess, why is there such a huge emphasis on waste? Well, I think the answer to that is easy. I mean, it's what we see. Not only what we see, it's the things that we consume. When we asked, what's your perception of Cal Poly sustainability? immediately they went to campus dining, which isn't necessarily Cal Poly. Yes. Yeah,
5: it's the most visible thing. And that's the thing, like when people think of sustainability, they think of waste and zero waste. But it's not just waste, it's like the invisible things too. Like that's why climate change is so hard for people to comprehend because it's not like a tangible, visible thing in front of them. Whereas like waste and like beach cleanups and um, plastic pollution, all that stuff is really tangible and easy for people to like grasp, even though they don't always necessarily know the whole story.
0: Mm -hmm. This, I think, is just so detrimental. Sustainability, if I'm going to use that meaningless word in the first place. Okay, I guess it means environmental sustainability and making humanity work efficiently so that we can sustain ourselves without harming future generations. Sustainability is so much more than just trash. Not only this, but... Not only is it detrimental because it it, it it leaves out water, it leaves out gas and fossil fuels, leaves out electricity. It is also detrimental because of, I do this. I use less waste. I do this. The focus in a lot of our interviews was on the individual. So this really, really places the emphasis on individual action. And so why do we think that... The solution to these huge problems of just waste, huge problems of climate change, huge problems of plastic pollution in the ocean starts with the individual. I mean, I think a lot of us can agree that although the individual is important for any huge, large, societal, universal paradigm shift change is needed from every sector from society from corporate action from political action and from individual action i do the little things trying to keep it on like the forefront of
3: your mind a little bit more
2: it depends on what they're starting from i mean first awareness like being aware of your carbon footprint Mm -hmm.
3: i watched a few like documentaries um i think just being aware that i haven't done as much research as uh-huh. I have to, like... I think just being aware. Trying to keep it on, like, the forefront of your mind a little. Taking short showers and bringing, like, all my own, like, silverware and mm-hmm. cups. and. I'm trying to take mm-hmm. baby steps towards, like, reusing plastic bags. And if I pee, I don't flush the toilet mm-hmm. a few times, and then i ride my bike as much as I can. So, I feel like I'm conscious of it. I mean... I don't think I'm gonna make a Netflix show about it or anything, <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, what, what, what else was I gonna say? Oh, I also try and take uh, shorter showers. It doesn't have to be like drastic changes, but like doing one or two things
0: to make a little change adds up. And of course, individuals make up those in corporations and politics, but without some greater um, societal rule, law, or shift, I think that nothing will really happen. Sociologist researcher Andrew Jaeger talks about this individual focus in environmental issues in his article Forging Hegemony. Now, if you're a nerd for peer-reviewed academic sources, I highly recommend this article. It is so fascinating. In his very thorough history of recycling, he points out that recycling was actually a practice started by bottling companies in order to create some sort of solution for the problem that they've created of litter. And so when the government intervened and recommend that bottle companies return to their initial model with reusable containers, bottling companies proposed an alternative solution, recycling. Not only does recycling inefficiently diverge waste from the landfill, it also entirely places the blame of waste and litter upon the individual rather than the source of litter, bottling companies.
4: So this is again why recycling is really confusing because those little triangles with the numbers in them literally mean nothing. They mean what it started out as, not even what you're holding in your hand now. <laughs> hmm. Wow. It's total greenwashing and it has nothing to do with recycling.
0: So something that could have that, um, that symbol on it wouldn't even be recyclable? Oh, yes. That, okay.
4: that, when that, there was a contest done in the 1970s to create, you know, back when people, when the first Earth Day happened and some clever marketing student came up with that logo. But it was a contest where he won like $500 for it. Talk about a cheap way to get wow. a really a fantastic logo. So he won some money, but the idea of the contest would be whatever he whatever he produced would then be in the public domain mm. because they weren't giving him any real money for it. So by accepting the reward, it would then be put in the public domain. Plastics Council is like, great, we're going to put it on all plastics. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Number seven <laughs> means other. It could be anything. It's mm. not, res- You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like... So this was a, this was a, a gig, this was a, a greenwashing campaign that started as soon as that recycling symbol was released, which is why there's so much yeah. confusion about it, because it, it's like the word natural, it, it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. So
1: anyone can put that symbol on their
3: stuff?
4: Yeah, it's not controlled. Wow. Yeah.
0: Jaeger points out that recycling today is actually an extremely inefficient system, only saving 3% of total waste that enters the landfill. And also, it entirely places the responsibility of this waste problem into the hands of the individual consumers. He, he highlights this, quote, focusing on the endpoint of commodity production rather than the source. He's basically saying, why don't we nip this issue in the bud? Recycling also exemplifies that some actions that we in the public may think of as quote unquote sustainable are actually extremely ineffective at combating environmentally sustainable issues. He says, quote, individualized micro political solutions to the macro level socio environmental ills has proliferated. Federal regulation has faltered due to the lack of a nationally coordinated environmental movement. This also allows for corporate interests to organize in a space to change the character of environmental politics to suit their own interests. He says that on page 413. Oh my God. This is just, I love this quote. I think that this is just so representative of what I'm trying to get at in this podcast is that there has been a lack of political action. Within the environmental movement, this emphasis on individualism keeps people from grouping together to start movements, as well as putting more responsibility for this issue on the government, as well as within corporations. Um, In our interviews, the topic of straws was brought up regularly as a monumental thing that Cal Poly Campus Dining did. Recently... Cal Poly Campus Dining, in lieu of their environmental goals, has switched from plastic straws to paper straws?
1: Um, I've seen uh, the straws. The straws. The straws. Uh, The paper straws. (laughs) Um, They are an annoyance, but every time you pick up a straw and it's a paper straw, you know, wow, I'm doing a great job here.
2: I know we've switched over to paper straws. Um, are you talking
3: about like environmentally sustainable? Yeah. Okay. Well, the plastic straw thing—they just passed, and then next year they're getting rid of plastic water bottles. So cool. that's a, that's a step.
1: Like I know they got rid of the the plastic straws for the, mm-hmm. the those dumb little cardboard ones that get soft after a while, <laughs> which makes it horrible to drink from. But yeah. I know they are taking steps to yeah. like try to try to do that as well.
3: I have a reusable straw,
4: so that's about that. <laughs>
0: I, this, this straw movement really just emphasizes this point by Jaeger that corporations are capitalizing on the environmental movement. And when they capitalize on the environmental movement, they unintentionally or maybe intentionally emphasize the importance of acting as an individual. It is the most important that you recycle. It is the most important that you buy a paper straw. That is going to be the most influential. yes. These things are important, but are they the most important? I th- I have a theory that this straw movement is entirely perpetuated by advertising. You see, you see that image of the the straw with the turtle, or sorry, the <laughs> the straw with the turtle in its nose. No, the turtle with the straw in its nose, and you just want to do something about it. That is such a sad picture and apparently the solution is paper straws.
2: What difference is one little straw gonna make?
4: Said 7.6 billion people.
2: Well,
0: here comes Visos
2: with the premium stainless steel reusable drinking straws to the rescue. But thanks to Ultimate Straw, we can finally use a straw 100% guilt-free. Don't you know that plastic straws are bad for the environment? This is Final Straw, the world's first collapsible, reusable, totally badass straw.
0: But there was no academic article I could find about the presence of straw advertisements anywhere, um, let alone straw advertisements within social media. But seriously, how, what made people think of reusable straws as the solution? I really think it was Facebook, Instagram, YouTube advertisements. Seriously, I mean, maybe you don't have the same Instagram algorithms as me, um, but I think it is just a reflection of how powerful advertisements are at constructing reality. Um, I once saw a meme on Instagram, just to highlight this, I'll use another Instagram example. I once saw a meme that said, you're going to use reusable straws to save fish, but you won't stop eating fish to save fish. I mean, right there. And then another survey with um, ocean pollution scientists found out that 46% of all plastic waste in the ocean comes from fishing nets. 46%. Do you know how much comes from straws? Guess, 3% maybe, 1%? How about 0.03%? Yep, 0.03, 0.03% of the 8 million metric tons of plastics in the oceans total. And yes, I mean, you could say that if everyone used a paper straw instead of plastic straws and we had no more plastic straws in the ocean, yes, that would make a difference but a very, very small difference. However, this focus, this frame that the straws are the most important thing we should be focusing on is just so false. Really, we should be focusing on just fishing nets in the ocean. I mean, that is just going to make a way huger impact on plastic waste in the ocean if we focused on the greater contributor to the problem. And, I think that the straw discussion is just such an example of how easy it is to believe that individual action is the best way to approach sustainability um, because of the growth and ubiquity of these environmental products. We see this rhetoric everywhere regarding sustainability, like from any sort of advertisement firm, from any sort of corporation. We're sustainable. Are you sustainable? Do you care about the planet? Do you care about this and this and this? Then, buy our product, because we are like that.
2: But then Ecosia makes sure its profits are used worldwide to plant trees. Be old. Be new. There are no rules in fashion, but one. Recycle your clothes. The new MacBooks. The world's greenest family of notebooks.
5: When you look at how many shoes Adidas produces per year, every gram counts. If we can reduce just a few grams per shoe, we could make a tremendous difference.
0: I I would hope that this would be an expectation for the company, but since that there are no political expectations for corporate social responsibility for businesses or for like green advertising claims, like mandating what can or cannot be called natural. Also, I don't want to say that green products should be completely gone at all. I mean, greenness and environmental sustainability is excellent, and it's a great movement that corporations are making nowadays to um, move toward environmental sustainability. However, it can unintentionally emphasize, overemphasize the role of the individual within the movement. It's not bad. I don't want to communicate that it is a bad thing. It is a good thing. However, don't be misled that individualized consumer-only action is the only way and the best way to approach environmental issues. One extremely influential action that was not mentioned in any of our campus interviews is voting. Voting and politics are extremely influential and important to approaching environmental issues. The importance of political action for environmental change is exemplified in John Fleck's article, High Tech Desert. John Fleck is a writer for the Breakthrough Institute and a faculty member for the Water Resources Program at the University of New Mexico. In his article, he analyzes from 2005 into 2015, he analyzes the use of water in Los Angeles County. So in case you didn't know... California was in a major drought at this time and continues to live in a drought culture. So in these years, from 2005 to 2015, Los Angeles County residents remarkably decreased their water usage for the first time in history. There were a lot of campaign initiatives at the time to encourage residents to lower their water usage. I mean, you may have seen these just in your own lifetime Perhaps a highway sign reminder uh, of statements to take shorter showers or to not use your sprinklers today. Maybe a commercial to turn off the sink when you're brushing your teeth. However, in his analyzation, he reveals that decreased water usage was almost entirely due to political reform of household appliances. New washing machines, dishwashers, and toilets all needed to legally abide with new federal water requirements. Water requirements that were put into place by the government. That is what caused this water usage to decrease. Not any sort of small actions of reducing water waste by turning off your sink when you're brushing your teeth. These little tiny things, yes, those things are important. But what is more important is legalized action that forces industry to change, that forces all of us to change our behavior. I found this article exceptionally interesting because this rhetoric of it's the little things that matter was so prevalent within pollinized research.
2: It's the honestly it's the little
3: a bunch of little things. I applaud them obviously. Like mm. every little thing does help.
1: If everybody like did like one subtle thing, it would like really change. Mm-hmm. Like if every person did one thing, I feel like mm-hmm. all those things added together would like really help out okay. everything.
2: I feel like a lot of just like the little things like taking short showers
3: and bringing like All my own like silverware and Mm -hmm. cups. I'm trying to take baby steps towards like reusing plastic bags and. Uh, What 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 else was I gonna say? Oh, I also try and take uh, shorter showers.
4: It doesn't have to be like drastic changes, but like doing one or two things Mm -hmm. to make a little change adds up.
2: And the little, honestly, it's the little changes that make a big difference Mm -hmm. and add up together. And they're little changes that are easy to make.
0: So this has been, doing my research and learning about just the importance of legal action in environmental sustainability really just scared me because I think one thing that's really common for just myself living in California, or just any of my peers is just conversations that we think that what can the government do about anything? Can the government actually really do anything? Can Can the president actually really do anything? Does voting actually even do anything? I'm one of this huge population of people. How can my one vote actually change anything? In my research, I found that the importance of voting may not be in the framework of young environmentally minded Americans. Voting green, I would say, is really not something that's common within this environmental, sustainable-minded framework. The first thing you think to do when you want to be sustainable is maybe, like, ride your bike to campus or use a paper straw. I don't, I really don't think that people think—I mean, at least I didn't—immediately think to vote green. On that sustainability wall at Cal Poly, vote green is not one of statements. And considering that younger Americans, millennials and Generation Z, we care the most about climate change and sustainability out of all generations, yet we have the lowest voter turnout rate comparatively to any of the older generations. We have a heightened environmental consciousness, but the lowest turnout rate. So clearly these two things are not aligned together. Within our thoughts of what pertains to be sustainable, we think of things like the little things, like recycling not voting. Russell Dalton is an author who is very interested in the political actions of generation Z. And maybe you've heard such criticisms from your teachers or maybe your grandparents or older people in your lives that millennials and generation Z just are terrible, they don't care about anything because we don't vote. What do we do? We don't care about we don't care about politics. Our generation all we care about is social media. We're often regarded, regarded as uninvolved and lazy because of this lower voter turnout rate. But Russell Dalton points out in his book, The Good Citizen, that Generation Z, which is considered anyone born after 1996, according to Cone Communication Studies, is far more active in other types of political activities, such as marches, boycotting, and our consumption habits, buying with your dollar. Um, in a later interview, he cites a study that UCLA has been doing for over 50 years analyzing the political engagement of incoming college freshmen in which, quote, interest in political and civic engagement has reached the highest levels since the study began 50 years ago. And they measured engagement through participation in protests in um, in the study. And Dalton argues that attributing uninvolved apathetic qualities to our generation is just blatantly ignoring the vast cultural shifts from technology and politics. So don't get mad at me if you like, you get mad at your grandparents if they complain about your generation saying you don't vote. Well, they're honestly right about that point. I mean, we have the lowest turnout voter turnout rates. But we have also been regarded as a very politically minded generation. And a lot of other studies have cited that not voting is usually just an indication that a generation may have lost faith in voting as being an effective route for social change. Sound familiar? Voting. An ineffective route of social change. This makes so much sense. If we don't think it's a good way for making social change then why why would we use that route to change huge issues that we care about like climate change and like sustainability what is slightly scary about this although it is good to buy with your dollar is that it puts so much power into the corporations and essentially makes them more powerful toward these sustainable issues rather than the government and essentially corporations technically work for their own interests the government is supposed to work for the interest of the people I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. Many of you may disagree with that, but corporations aren't necessarily working for you either. They're working, I mean, they're a business. They're there to make money. It completely overlooks government power and responsibility. Along with political action is collective group effort and movements. I think that this is something we can all agree upon. One of my favorite quotes from author Margaret Mead, she says... Quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has however as we can see and this can be overlooked in the environmental sustainability movement i mean it's possible look at the marches look at the marches on campus over a year ago due to the blackface incident when students at Cal Poly demanded for institutional changes, and now it is one of Cal Poly's greatest efforts on campus. We know so much more as a group. We are louder as a group. And as students, again, we, Cal Poly is working for us. If we want something collectively as a group and demand for it using all of our voices together, we can be so much more powerful and so much smarter together. I'd say if you're interested in getting
5: involved in sustainability, join a club, read, mm-hmm. read books, read articles, read the news, yeah, just read more,
4: mm-hmm. Get, educate yourself. The, the thing that's going to push Cal Poly more than anything mm-hmm. else is it's carrying student body, so. Oh, wait, that's t- great. You yeah. be part of it. Yeah. I know. That's always <laughs> the
0: most encouraging thing to hear, that the power resides in it, yourself as a
4: student. And it does, and students don't understand their power. Like, I can yeah. go to dining and say, oh, you guys have to, you know, move toward reusables. You know, I, I know that it's hard because a lot of students want to take their stuff to go, but there's a lot of people who eat right in this area. Mm-hmm. Here, you could do reusables and they could walk out and eat in the quad and then return them, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You could do a quarter of your meals right now, reusables, mm-hmm. that are currently yeah. being garbage that would reduce a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. They listen to me and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know at some point yeah. we're going to do this to me. <laughs> but the students yeah. say, we want reusable, you know. Yeah. We'll do it. <laughs> They will yeah. they'll put a lot more time and effort in the, the students' clamor for it because you are... I'm, I'm a fellow co-worker on the campus, you are their audience, you are mm-hmm. their target, you are... When, when we're brought on as new employees, we're instilled with the idea that everyone is here for the success of the students. That's our primary mission, whatever else our mission is, our primary mission is the success of the students. That's why I almost never turn down a request by students taking a class if I can possibly fit it into my schedule because that actually, any talking I do with you guys is actually gonna have more of an effect than anything I do in the next four years. Because it's gonna instill in you what you need to know to them when you go out and do whatever you're gonna do, do it better. And so you, it'll have a much far-reaching effect. You know, I'm gonna retire in three to five years or mm-hmm. three to seven years, and then someone else is gonna have to take this position, and I'm hoping it's an inspired Cal Poly student who mm-hmm. has been here, gone out in the world, and then wants to come back and you know, mm-hmm. do great things at Cal Poly. Yeah that's excellent you're you're so inspiring thank you i love listening to you thank you i appreciate
2: that this
0: has been make it human making the environmental sustainable movement within corporations a little bit more complex but also understandable i am your host danielle davis Editing was done by me, Daniel Davis, that's why it took so long to come out. And Sonic Intrigue was provided by Nikki Gurney. For full references and resources about all the sources I used in this podcast, you can see the Make It Human website. I've attached my literature review, which includes all of the research from this podcast. And for more information, just browse our website. Get involved in a club. Join together. Know that this sustainable movement cannot be tackled by the individual by group collective effort. Thanks for
4: listening.